I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hey there, and welcome to the Lead with Impact podcast. I am Brian, and I am so excited that you are here with me today. And I'm really pumped up for today's guest. We'll be joined by Carl Hughes. Now, Carl is someone I met a few months ago at a New York City National Speakers Association event. And Carl really impressed me from the very start with his ability to powerfully and passionately communicate his message. And he has a really unique background, as I'll tell you. He's a teacher, mentor, and speaker who uses his background and knowledge to motivate others to personal, professional, and financial success. And he didn't come to that by the standard route. He is a sixth-generation carpenter, and he has 45 years of construction industry experience in New York City as a master carpenter, business owner, union member, and trade instructor. So we all know the construction industry can be a little tough sometimes. Imagine doing that in New York City and being a leader. Carl has seen a lot and has a lot of stories, as you're about to hear. And he has a unique perspective on goal setting, action plans, and using your own resources to succeed. And he really has a strong message about the forgotten aspects of blue-collar careers and how they can be so useful for many people, uh, but are sadly overlooked, and how a lot of benefit can still come from those kinds of careers. And he really is passionate about that, as you are about to hear. So with that being said, let's talk to Carl. So we are fortunate today to be joined by Carl Hughes. Carl is a teacher, mentor, and speaker, and trade instructor with a wealth of experience to share. Thank you so much for joining us, Carl. It's an absolute pleasure, Brian. I'm glad to be here. So we heard about your bio, and there's so many incredible things on it. I have to ask you, what made you want to start out on this journey? Well, it wasn't so much wanting to start in a direction. It's just I kind of followed a family tradition. And um, as it says in my bio, I'm a sixth-generation carpenter. And really, I left high school to go and follow carpentry. And I did that, and I started out working with my dad many, many years ago. And then I got this great idea I should go off to college and get a better education, be all kinds of successful. And I was not your average college student because I'd been out working for two full years. And at the end of college, I thought I was going to do this great career. And then when I found out what it was going to be like, I went back, put on my tools, and went right back to work because that was so much more satisfying than what I had been prepared for in college. So that was why I went right back to it and have loved it ever since. And so what was your first step out of college? Well, I I was working construction out of college. Um, My wife and I had gotten uh, married because part of the reason for going back to construction, we wanted to get married. And if you wanted to get a life together, you kind of have to have a few dollars in the bank. 
which we had none. And so the idea of going back to construction, construction pays. It pays well. And if you do the right things in it, it can pay very, very well. And so that was my idea. Um, I, I knew getting into it that for a trades carpenter or a tradesman or woman, there's always going to be the challenge that they hire you for the skill first. And there's not a lot of upward mobility in it. So they just want you to do a job. But that's it's not a bad thing because sometimes when you walk away at the end of the day, you did your job. You have no more responsibilities. And so you can concentrate on your own things. Now, um, I knew that getting into it, that long term upward mobility, getting to be the CEO of a corporation. It doesn't usually work like that going from tradesmen to the higher levels of management in any construction company. They're hiring engineers and business people out of college that go on to those higher levels. So for me, um, working in the trade was great. And since it pays well, I wasn't too much worried about getting to the higher levels. I was doing the kind of thing I wanted to do. And uh, first and foremost, I was making a really good living. And it allowed me to turn around and really start a family, be with my family. And perhaps the greatest thing about at the end of the day, you go home and unless you're running that job, your mind is clear. You did your job for today. And there's a lot to be said for that. And in today's America, it's something that we've really vastly overlooked. Uh, a lot of people go off to college with the idea, oh, I want to be this, I want to be that. They get into college. And the first two years especially are difficult. You're laying the groundwork for the classes, for their higher degrees and so on. And they become disillusioned. And I think there's a lot of people really don't set out in college with a great plan. And so when they become disillusioned, they're like, well, I kind of failed at it. And really, they didn't ever really want to go to college in the first place. Right. They wanted to make a good living. And so if they had set out into a trade or a lot of other blue-collar fields, um, they might have been just as happy rather than try for a degree that they really weren't that interested in. You know, But they had an idea that what they were doing was pursuing something better, and they thought the path that would lead there was college. And I've traveled that path and found out, yeah, I got the four-year degree and as soon as I was done, it was right back to what I did before. Yes. And I really enjoyed what I did before. Valuable lesson. Now, just to set the stage for our listeners, is this in New York City where you're doing the construction? Yes. I'm a New York City construction carpenter. I've been in uh, local union 608 and now local 157 uh, for the last 42 years. And so, yeah, I've been there, done that. Uh, there's very little of carpentry that I have not done. In, in the city, I'm an interior finish carpenter, but my earlier parts of my career, especially when you don't know your way around well, you take what you can get to get started. You work with the companies who hire you, you develop your skills, and you go from there. So at first, I did a lot of high-rise construction. I did uh, some of the taller buildings in Manhattan. Uh, tough, tough racket. It's a lot of hard work. Sometimes it can become very boring. But also, as you get with a good crew or a good company, it can really be very rewarding, especially when you look back at some of the places you've been to and you look back and say, geez, you know, I, I worked on that building when it went up. There it is, 54 stories tall or some of these buildings we have now, 80 stories. They're huge. They're way bigger than what I worked on. And you look back and say, yeah, I worked in that building. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked in that building over there. I worked. In, yep. Yep. I worked in there, too. Uh, yeah, I did work in Carnegie Hall. Yes, I did. And you you really look at the city as a map that kind of documents your career. 
and all these new buildings that the people are now working and living in. And some of them are amazing buildings. For example, now the new Hudson Yards, absolutely um, mind boggling how much they improve that space in the west side of Manhattan. And so you look at it and say, the guys that are working on it, it's not me because I'm now teaching, I'm not there, but they'll look back and say, yeah, I worked on Hudson Yards when it went up. And they'll do that and say that to their grandkids many years from now. And that's a great thing. So it's a very satisfying, rewarding idea when you can look back and point to your work, as we say, opposed to working in an office where you just shuffle papers, which is not true. People in offices work very, very hard also. But what happens is, we view it that that's not really work. That's just kind of shuffling around, answering questions and stuff. Really, people in offices do a lot of good work. It's just so totally different to what we do for work. Yeah, totally different. And the nice part about your path, like you said, is when you work in an office with your shuffling papers or doing something else, very rarely do you have a literal physical 50-story monument to your work that stands you know, for time indefinite almost that you yes. can always go back and look at. Yes. And that, that's really a rewarding thing. So I think that's, it's more our view that, Hey, I can look back and point to what I did for the last 30 years. Right. Whereas people may be working in offices. Um, it's not quite as physical and tangible, you know, to, to point to, but they probably have done some excellent work, especially when you say, for example, a, a nonprofit that's done tremendous work to, perhaps care for people and things like that. It's just for us, we're in a different end of the world. It is. And this is coming from someone who has spent more than his fair share of time in offices and shuffling papers. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I yeah. can see the appeal to what you're talking about. Now, when I think of construction in New York City, I don't live in the city, but as you know, I do get down there on occasion. And I think of scaffold, scaffolding and noise and banging and just seems like a really stressful job to me. Is that an accurate perception? Uh, it can be, depending on the situation. But um, believe it or not, it, it's another way to look at it and the way I've always looked at it. It's like an orchestrated concert if everything's going well. It's a noisy, belligerent concert. But... <laughs> You have to give credit to the guys and gals that really put up the buildings. It's almost like if you took a symphony and watched it come out of the ground, that's a construction project. And when it's all run well and everybody does their part, it's amazing what gets accomplished. And I'm talking not just from the management side of it, where you have people who are organizing it and controlling it, right down to the actual tradesmen that are doing the actual work and people even just cleaning up garbage seems like, oh, that's easy until you see how much garbage there is. And that really has to be done as a team effort and they have it well organized. So the whole thing for me, it, it's something I've come to love is to watch it happen is that when you see the job progressing, one day somebody's going to hand over a set of keys to someone and say, here's your new home or here's your new office. And that person has a big smile because that's exactly what they wanted. And it started out a couple of years earlier in a planning stage with an architect and engineers to say what could or couldn't be done. And now it's done and it's real. And it, it's just amazing to watch that. It is. So our story is Carl in college and Carl goes into construction. And now we know there's Carl, teacher, mentor, and speaker. How do we get there? Well, it's kind of funny, but um, teaching was something that uh, as a tradesman, you, you kind of embrace because... We're really responsible to teach our newer apprentices as they come into the trade. 
And I was especially good at it. And I'm not just blowing my own horn. I know how to teach. I'm very good at it. I spent uh, 25 years with the Boy Scouts. And a lot of what we do with Boy Scouts is we teach kids how to do things, uh, not just to be organized, but how to do skills and all of that. And so those skills I was able to translate into uh, teaching on a professional level. Uh, many years ago, I was hired part time to teach a couple of nights a week, teaching apprentices when we had a nighttime program, just one class. And I got better and better. And then one day I was offered the opportunity to go full time and teach full time, which is really a tremendous job. And for me, at my stage of the career, I'm past the age of going out to do the heavy work because it's really a young man's game. But it gave me a great opportunity that as a teacher, I can still use my skills, teach the skills and yet phase out of my career as a carpenter and now more into a public speaking role. But I'm doing that because I got the opportunity early on to try and teach other apprentices as part of my job. In other words, they gave me a partner who wasn't experienced. So I have to teach him in order to make him productive. So if I don't teach him how to be productive, I have to work harder. So there's an incentive on my side of it to teach the young man or young woman and get them to produce. And so as a result of that, it, it's fun. Um, it, it gives you a lot of opportunities to be good or be evil. And it sounds uh, like tricky, but some people are evil and they teach the kids the wrong way. And that doesn't pay. It, it kind of comes back at you later. It's something we talk about in management all the time. Sometimes leaders have a tendency to want to consolidate power and hold information and keep it close to the vest to sort of boost well, themselves up. And it's ultimately self-defeating because yeah. you're not building your support network. You're not building people who can help you down the road. In fact, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. We met at Speaker University for the National Speakers Association in New York City, yeah. which we are both part of. And you told a story there, I don't know if you can remember, about how you helped somebody one day. Are you yes, familiar with what did. I'm talking about? Would you mind sharing yes. that with the audience? I'd be happy to. It was a young man that I had, had on, a, on a project, and he, he had been shown incorrectly by another person, which was really unfair. And I saw him struggling with this one particular skill, and I went over to him and I said, listen, don't do it that way. Yeah, you're kind of doing it wrong. I don't know who showed you that way, but it's a much easier way to do it. And the way he had been shown was not only difficult, it was slow. And it was from somebody who was, and I'm surprised you mentioned it too in the management. I, I never knew that it existed there too. But it was somebody who was afraid to lose their job or be shown up by a newer person. And so he had shown him incorrectly. The end result was I showed him, he said, thank you. And that was fine. Now that job progressed and went on for a couple of years, uh, a couple more weeks or months and about another month. And then that job ended as all construction projects do. Now I went to a different company. He went someplace else. I didn't see him for a couple of years. And then uh, one day I walked onto a job and uh, being that I'm a more experienced carpenter, they will give you more experienced tasks to do. And I was asked to cut a particular type of uh, molding for ceiling grid. And it's what we call a step molding. And it's the kind of thing that if you do it all the time, you have it. It's easy to remember. You do it always. And it's great. But when I was asked to do it, I hadn't done it in a couple of years. And I wasn't 100% sure how to do it. And so I was, yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll do it. Great. And I was trying to remember exactly how to make the cuts. And out of nowhere came a young man who came up to me and said, here, put these in your pocket. 
And I looked at him and I said, don't I know you? And he said, uh, you may not remember me, but actually I do know you and you helped me out a couple of years ago. He says, I've been doing ceilings a lot now. He says, I'm really a foreman with this company and I know that you're trying to remember how to make that cut. So here they are. And he gave me a matching set of the cuts I had to do. And he said, just put these in your, in your apron and uh, you can use them. And I was like, wow, there it comes full circle. Now, when I needed just that little boost to somebody to help me out, he turns around and I know this young man. And then he went on to say that he's a foreman with that company, but he was leaving because he had been invited to help start another company as one of their key people in the field. And just the education, what he realized, and I realized then how much education makes an impact, was that he said, you not only showed me the skill, but you also showed me that to teach is going to gain and help others out who become, like you just said, a support network. So it really came full circle and beyond. And I was really very impressed. It's like, wow, I never thought of that aspect of teaching before. You know, you help the guy out because it would make him more productive. But look at how much more productive. He started another company, right? Now they're hiring other people. So the business gained. And because he was that good now, um, it was going to benefit him immensely and also whoever he was working for. So it, it worked out real well. It's a fantastic story. I love it because it just shows the principle so well about doing the right thing and investing in others. It's going to help them, and there's a very good chance someday it may come back and help you as well. Oh, it does. I, I honestly and truly believe in karma. It comes back at you one way or another. <laughs> it's coming. So it was very, very good in that, that particular instance. So. so let me ask a overall question. As you set out on this path in carpentry and then eventually – to become a teacher, speaker, mentor, were there any struggles? I think everybody struggles to get started. I really do. Uh, starting out for anyone, and I see especially with millennials these days, the start out, when I started out, my wife and I were flat broke. We had nothing. We had $65. We came back from our honeymoon. We went to the supermarket, and we had $5 left. And that was our start. We had covered the, the apartment rent. But the two of us took $2.50 each, went off to work the next day. And basically for the next couple of months, it was like just getting started. And the one good thing was we didn't really have the kind of debt that a lot of the college students have nowadays. My wife had some college debt to start off with, and we had worked on that. But I think that financial start is probably the most difficult thing for many people to just get going. And... Unfortunately, I think it throws a negative taste into a lot of folks' mouth uh, in terms of it's it's what a start just to get going. You have so many bills, you hardly know which one to pay first. And at the at the onset, it can be overwhelming. And so I think that struggle was there. But my bigger struggle came much, much later, about uh, 15 years later. Well, not 15, about 10 years later when I started a business. And, and the results of that we're not good. So, um, that struggle. Would you like to tell huge. us a little bit about that or I can, I went in and I started an architectural woodworking company with a friend of mine. And unfortunately we were good carpenters, but we needed to learn an awful lot about business. And that learning curve is very unforgiving. And so we started out when it was a fairly robust economy. And then as we went along, my partner didn't really want to do the business any longer. And so he elected to opt out, uh, not under good circumstances, but that's all water under the bridge. Um, 
But what happened was a lot of the contractors didn't pay us. So now we were in financial struggles and it ended up for me that it was an absolute nightmare to try and pay down the bills, uh, which were huge. And uh, back then in the early 90s, it was basically the way I tell people it was $365,000 worth of debt was due Thursday and it was Monday. So wow. yeah, 65,000 was on credit cards. And so when it comes to credit card debt, I know the full pain of all that means. And so to struggle out of that took a huge amount of effort on my part. And it, it wasn't fun. Now, and anybody who says it is, oh, well, you gained and you, you became a better person for it. Uh, no, I became a pretty angry person. <laughs> it was not an easy fight. It was just, it was brutal. And at the end of it, though, you become uh, better, not because you wanted to, but because you have to. And so the lessons learned out of getting out of that situation and eventually making a conscious decision to go back to work for somebody else, which was for me a really, really hard challenge because I truly wanted to be successful. Uh, it wasn't working out and I had to make the choice that, you know what? It's not a personal reflection on me, but this business is not working out to my best advantage. Right. And so the long-term planning, once I learned how to do that, spelled out that this may be a, a really great uh, dream or, or an idea that you want to do, but it may not, may not be financially possible. And so when I added up all the numbers back then, it was, you know what, it would be a nice idea if everything would work, but it's not going to. And so I, I chose to close the door and just do something different, go back to work. And I, to be honest, uh, going back to work was a better solution for me because now it's provided me uh, the opportunities to get closer to where I want to be rather than where I was with that particular business. Right. And so that business turned out to be, it was a lot of, a lot of work. Um, finding the right kind of tradesman to, to work in the workshop was difficult and expensive and so that that aspect of it i couldn't really step away from the workshop but i needed to step away from the workshop and be more of a businessman and so that was the conflict i was fighting constantly and so i just made up my mind you know what it's not going to get me where i want to go and i have to do something different and that was a hard lesson to learn so that struggle yeah i know i know the pain of that much debt it's I hear one you. of the things i teach all of my apprentices and i teach anybody who's in any sort of a trade uh, especially if you haven't gone to college but even more so if you have debt will kill you it eats up your life not just your money it's eating up you and right. it's well named when they call it a burden you know if you have the burden of a debt you're really you're handicapped and the way i say is uh, think of walking up a flight of steps Okay, now if you walk up that flight of steps with a 100-pound bag every single day, then it's hard to walk up the steps. If you get rid of the 100-pound bag, it's a lot easier. So that, that's the way I view debt. It's, it's a burden. It's well-named. And those 100-pound bags have a tendency to get bigger and bigger. They yeah. usually stay 100 pounds. Yeah, especially if you don't address them. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, that's the situation I had. It was not getting better. I got it onto a level surface, and I got it to the point that I avoided bankruptcy, and I got to the, to the level where I could make good decisions again. But when I did the long-term planning, no matter how good of a decision I was making, it wasn't going to lead where I wanted to go. And so that, for me, was an honest answer to, you know, I had corrected the problems with the business, 
And I moved on from there and said, okay, you have the business running okay. But now that I'd learned all I had from being in the bad situation, planning said, you know what, this is not going to work. And that's okay. You decided to leave. And it's okay. So it, that's the way that went. And it brought you to someplace really great because now you're the teacher, the trainer, the mentor, and you're doing some speaking. Can you tell us a little bit how that has come about? Well, what's happened is I'd always wanted to be a public speaker, and part of the frustration I had way back in business in the 90s was it wasn't leading there, and I wanted to be fairly successful. But um, I didn't realize that the path I was in at that time wasn't going to lead anywhere near public speaking. Uh, the path I'm in now, surprise, surprise, through teaching is leading me right into public speaking because now I understand what people need to know. And in order to be a good public speaker, you need a message. Well, I found the message and delivering it is the fun part for me because I get to help the guys and gals that need to hear it. And the message that I have for them is, yes, you can be successful at a blue collar trade and you don't need to go to college. And I know there are a lot of people out there that are, are thinking, well, I have to, otherwise I'll be stuck in a dead end job. It'll be a minimum wage job and it's not going to pay well. And that's not true. It's right. not. Uh, it can be true, but it's not necessarily true. And people who do go into trades and work hard at it will do well. But there is a key caveat, and that is you may not need a college degree, but you do need an education. You can't sit there with two hands and say, well, I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that and not work hard at learning that skill, learning that trade and really putting some effort into being good at it because they don't hire you unless you're good at it. Right. And it's something really I learned it way back with my dad many, many years ago. He said, nobody's ever going to hire you unless you have something of skill or value that they're going to be willing to pay for. And at the time, we were installing windows and doors, and uh, we did uh, contracting for a company that had new aluminum windows, new aluminum doors. And he said, you have to know how to do this. You have to learn the whole system, and you have to memorize it, and you have to be actually practiced and good at it, which is where I came up with a great um, – it, it, back then, I didn't think of it, but recently, I came up with a definition for skill. And skill really is knowledge plus practice. And so I've taught my apprentices that if you're going to be skillful at something, that means you have to have the knowledge. And that's great. You can read a book or look at a video, but you actually have to go out and practice those skills. And so whether it's in a financial world or in carpentry, it all comes down. If you're going to be skillful at anything, you have to know what to do and then you have to go out and practice doing it. And so for a lot of people in, in different walks of life, they're skillful. Like you see a, a stock trader, they're skillful because they've practiced it, they've studied it, they've learned it, and they've gone out and done it repeatedly. Now, that might pay well, but if you're not good at it, uh, you're not going to be doing that for very long because if you keep losing money, you'll be out of business quickly. So um, I think that definition holds true for most anywhere. And that's one of my lines I teach everybody is that if you're going to be skillful, uh, it's knowledge plus practice. You have to know what to do and then do it. You know, it's just so funny. I was talking to someone just earlier today about a subject near and dear to both of us, public speaking. And they said, I want to be good at speaking, but I don't do it that often. And when I do, I sometimes stumble over my words. Right. I forget what I'm going to say. 
And I just want to tell everybody who says that it's the reps. You got to get the reps in. You got to subject yourself to it time and time and time again. And there's going to be some bumps in the road. But with that knowledge and then the practice, like you say, you're going to build up your skill. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more. If you're going to be a good public speaker, then you have to speak and you have to prepare. You have to sit down, practice your lines uh, plan out your speeches, and and I know I've watched you speak, and and you do that very well. And then you turn around and you say, okay, even though you're practiced, there's still going to be some mistakes. It's always going to happen. There's not a tradesman in the world who hasn't made a mistake. And the same could be applied to a public speaker. And being part of NSA and meeting so many speakers, you you look at it and say, yeah, they all admit to having made a mistake somewhere here or there, right up on stage in front of hundreds of people, and you blow it. You make a mistake. Okay, well, then what you do is you learn from your mistake. You try not to do it again, and you move on, and that helps you to become better. But that's part of that knowledge plus practice. You know what you did wrong. Now you practice not doing that again and try to avoid that mistake. And so I have to say as public speakers, if you want to be a public speaker, you really have to get out and do it. And, yeah, things don't always come out right. <laughs> it's, it's It happens. But I uh, it's part of it, you know, yeah, and, and uh, I, part of it is realizing that it's going to happen. And part of it is realizing that the world doesn't end when it does happen. And, no, and it doesn't. Learn from it and you keep plowing through. And I think, like you said, that's applicable in a lot of other areas other than just speaking. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I want to just throw in there to thank you for your very kind words. But uh, tell the honest truth that we all spoke you stole the show. You you speak so passionately about what you do and your message. It was just really amazing to watch. Well, I feel fortunate uh, that I am not afraid of public speaking. I was told by a college professor uh, two years ago, he said, everybody's afraid of it. It was part of a Penn State University course that we were doing. And he said, everybody's afraid of it. I said, I'm not. I said, it's almost like some people are not afraid of heights. There's just some people in the world that doesn't bother them. And for me, it doesn't bother me. But what bothers me is if I'm unprepared to go on stage or go in front of people. So I know at, at Speakers University where we're practicing our speeches, um, everybody said, well, Carl's just sitting quiet. And I was really trying to be very well prepared because I knew as soon as I went in front of the camera and it was my turn, I had to put on a show and I had to be confident of it. And I did very well. But. Very few people noticed in the middle of it that I almost forgot the rest of the speech. And I hesitate for a split second on one of the videos. And everybody's like, oh, you speak so passionately and all. But I was like, oh, my goodness, what's the next line? Because I can't remember it. And I remembered it. And a few seconds later, everything went well. But, um, yeah, I do. I do OK because I like to do it and I love doing it. And fortunately for me. As I teach every day, I get to practice every day. So for me, that's, that's a real big advantage. So that was part one of our interview with Carl Hughes. Carl had so much knowledge to give us, we split his episode up into two parts. So look for part two in episode number 38. For now, thank you for joining us. And go out there, have a great day, lead with impact, and I will talk to you tomorrow.